0: Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to be together, to open your word, to study, to pray with one another. We thank you for the hymns that we've just sung, and thank you that we could sit at the feet of Jesus. Um, We long to learn from him. We, again, confess our own unworthiness and uh, your great righteousness. It's our rich privilege to depend upon that, as our, as the reason in which we can come into your presence boldly. Again, thank you for your goodness, for your grace, and we invite your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation 4 and 5. <clears throat> as I said last night, Revelation 4 and 5 are important for understanding the entire book of Revelation. These two chapters have been called the Fountainhead of the entire book <clears throat> it's from this original vision that all the other visions are connected throughout the book of Revelation and yet we, we don't give it a lot of attention generally and last night we noticed in Revelation chapter 4 starting in verse 1 that John looks, he sees a door open in heaven he hears a voice like a trumpet saying come up here and he comes up into heaven and then in verse 2 the first thing he sees is a throne standing in heaven and then one sitting on the throne in verse 3 and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance in verse 4 around the throne were 24 thrones and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads so as John goes up into heaven first thing he sees is this image of the throne the rainbow around it and as we looked last night um, usually we could think that this transition from the seven churches and what's happening on earth up to heaven is to communicate that the earth is in turmoil but when we get to heaven everything is in peace and in order and i quoted a couple of um, scholars mervyn maxwell for example is one and many others who say this and it's of course it's a very natural reading you know, you have the seven churches, and there's, you have to overcome, and there's all this trouble. And then all of a sudden you get to chapter 4, and like, wow, you're in heaven, and it's glorious. And there's, we'll find in a moment there's four living creatures, and everybody's singing, and it's glorious. And it seems like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Turmoil on earth, peace in heaven. But when you read Revelation carefully, and we continue to read it, we become rereaders of Revelation we find that something began in heaven and what was that? it was war that started in heaven and so as we read revelation more carefully more in tune with what's happening we find out that the uh, throne rather than simply being a symbol of God's sovereignty and look I have this under control and don't worry about everything there's an aspect to that don't misunderstand me But really, the throne is under attack in Revelation. And, of course, John draws from many other places. We think of Isaiah chapter 14, where Lucifer, the son of the morning, wants to place his throne above the stars of God. And so it's that big picture that John draws draws on for us as he portrays Revelation. We also noticed last night that in Revelation, Satan has a throne and Satan's allies have a throne. God has a throne, and God's allies have a throne. And God wants us to sit on his throne. Satan, of course, wants us to be worshipers of him and his throne. And that's the real issue that's taking place in your heart and in my heart, what side of the great controversy we're on. And we want to be on God's side. Amen? Amen. I would hope that's true. I believe that's true. Um, So in every act of life, we're revealing one of two antagonistic powers. Which side are we going to be on? Now this morning, I want to look at something else, and it's going to take your attention. Um, Sorry to put pressure on you so early in the morning, but I want you to think with me. Is that okay? You are forewarned. If you're uncomfortable, you're free to leave. Um, So I drew earlier, and this is a very... Childish diagram, but unfortunately, my art skills are childish. So this little red box in the center is just to create the image of the throne for us. John sees the throne. The one sitting on the throne is like Jasper and Sardis, which is a red color and appearance. So let's just, for imagination's sake, and this is God's throne. This is the center. And then around the throne is an emerald rainbow. Of course the rainbow when you think of the rainbow and we go back to the book of genesis uh, genesis chapter 9 verses 12 through 17 where god said the rainbow is a sign of his covenant right it's a rainbow is a sign of god's promise this is really encouraging for us when we're discouraged when we are discouraged and we want to sit at the feet of jesus we want to pray by faith we can see the throne and we can see the rainbow and what should that tell us? God's promise. God's there for us. And I have a couple of quotes I'm going to read in a moment. By the way, um, and Ellen White calls this rainbow of, it's a rainbow of promise encircling the throne. It's interesting that it's the color of emerald. And on the high priest's vestment uh, that the high priest wore in the ancient sanctuary, the emerald stone was the symbol of the, the tribe of Judah, which was the kingly tribe. So it's emerald, it's, it's a sign of hope, but it's, again, also a sign of God's rule, which is contested. We just read, also, that there are 24 thrones on the outside. I've made those in blue. And then, a little bit later on in Revelation, down in verse 6 and 7, we find out that there are four living creatures around the throne. Okay? So, just with this diagram, little schematic picture for us, you know that we can see that there's a center, and then there's an outward movement of circles, right? And then we get to chapter 5, we'll find that there's this numerous angelic host that surrounds it. And then at the end of chapter 5, we find that there's every created being surrounded. So we have this ever-widening sphere of circles going out. What's the center? God's throne, surrounded by that rainbow. And that really needs to be the center of our life. This is the center of the universe. And from which everything flows. From which life flows out from God to the entire universe. And of course, praise and adoration flow from outward back into God, who of course reflects it back out. ...to the universe. This kind of constant, as Ellen White describes it, this circuit of beneficence. Constantly giving, receiving, giving, receiving, giving, receiving. And that's how God wants our lives to be as well. And so we see here in Revelation 4 this this throne room scene. Let's look a little bit further. Verse 5, Revelation 4 and verse 5. It says, And out from the throne come forth flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. Then he goes on and describes those living creatures. So, before the throne, somewhere before the throne, are also the... Seven lamps of fire, and then further on down someplace, somewhere, before the throne, is sea of glass. I'm not sure how to draw that, so maybe I won't even attempt. Um, somewhere before that's the sea of glass, and so we, we get to get this picture. And you know, as we begin to look at this, of course, it reminds us of what Old Testament illustration of course it reminds us of the sanctuary and the sanctuary is very important in the book of Revelation, in fact the sanctuary runs throughout the entire book of Revelation, uh, for example in Revelation eleven nineteen, the John says that the temple of God which is in heaven was open and, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple so Revelation eleven nineteen very clear image of the most holy place, the ark of the covenant Revelation 15 describes the outpouring of the seven last plagues and the angels with the vials of the seven last plagues they come out of the temple and smoke arises and no one can go into the temple until the seven last plagues are finished representing the close of probation so you have the ark, Revelation 11:19. 19 you have the close of probation shown in Revelation 15 uh, turn with me to Revelation 8, just briefly i come right back here Revelation chapter 8 in verses 3 through 5 we have another sanctuary scene and here we have an angel with a golden censer and he comes up to this altar which is before the throne altar of incense before the throne again a sanctuary scene you with me? and then back to Revelation chapter 4 where we have another sanctuary scene so we look at this The vision opens with the sanctuary scene. And then at key points throughout the entire story unfolding in Revelation, there are sanctuary scenes. And there's more than the ones I just mentioned uh, in Revelation 7. There's sanctuary imagery all throughout the entire book. Now, what I'd like to do this morning, or at least get started this morning, is share something about this with you. And first I want to do something a little unusual. I don't think I've ever done this. I want to share what is the common view of Seventh-day Adventism today, excuse me there, on on how we understand the sanctuary in Revelation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of give you an overview of what's very common. Um, If you listen to almost any speaker describing Revelation, this is what you'll find. Stefanovich's books or John Pauline or um, excellent speakers like um, Dr. Manolte or other individuals as well kind of follow the same track Ty Gibson and James Rafferty a lot of good people that I have a lot of respect for and basically what the common view in Adventism today is that you have a movement from the beginning of the sanctuary service on Jesus ascension when he ascended in AD 31 uh, his anointing the entire sanctuary, and then beginning his ministry in the holy place. And then you have a holy place ministry in chapter five, and then holy place ministry in chapter eight. And then you get most holy place imagery in chapter 11, 11:19. 11, and then the close of probation in chapter 15. So you're with me there? So you have a movement through the sanctuary beginning with Jesus' ascension to heaven, and then the holy place ministry, and then it's holy place ministry, holy place ministry, shift to most holy place ministry, and then the close of probation. So that, in a nutshell, is um, what's typically brought out in Adventism today. And there's, as I already mentioned, many godly people that hold that position. I disagree with it. Um, and I don't disagree with it just because I want to be disagreeable but uh, there's a few things that I'd like to share and raise some questions about that idea but before we do let me give some reasons as to why this could be true why that common view could be true so for example in the book Great Controversy on page 414 Ellen White says this and this is an argument for seeing the scene in Revelation 4 and 5 as somehow relating to Christ's ministry in the holy place. Revelation, excuse me, Galatians, wrong. Great Controversy, page 414. As in vision, the Apostle John was granted a view of the temple of God in heaven. So what does John see? temple of God in heaven. He beheld there seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, Revelation 4 5. He also saw an angel having a golden censer, and much incense was given to him. Here the prophet was permitted to behold the first department of the sanctuary. And he saw there the seven lamps of fire and the golden altar, represented by the golden candlestick and the altar of incense. Okay, so, you with me? Ellen White says, well, if you see the candlestick and you see the altar of incense... That should make us think of what part of the heavenly sanctuary? The holy place. Of course. Because where was the altar of incense placed? And where was the candlestick placed? Holy place. And so if we read that quotation from Great Controversy, we could say, hey, Stephen, you're totally wrong. This is obviously holy place imagery. And then there's this movement. You get to Revelation 11:19, 19, and then you move to the most holy place, the question is Does that exhaust, is, does Ellen White's description exhaust all the meaning here? So let me read something else to you. This is from Signs of the Times, Volume, Signs of the Times, May 2nd, 1895. Signs of the Times, May 2nd, 1895. She asked the question Are you filled with sorrow today? Fasten your eyes on the Son of righteousness. This is really great advice for us. Do not try to adjust all the difficulties. Have you ever really had that problem where you're always trying to sort every detail out? Do not try to adjust all the difficulties, but turn your face to the light, to the throne of God. What will you see there? The rainbow of the covenant the living promise of God, beneath the rainbow is the mercy seat. Faith is what you need. Now, notice what Ellen White's doing here. She's telling us when we're in difficulty, look to the throne, and what will we see around the throne? The rainbow. And what's beneath the rainbow? The mercy seat. Well, where is the mercy seat in the sanctuary? It's in the most holy place. Okay, so here we have two quotations from Ellen White. One kind of indicating, well, maybe this is all holy place. And another indicating, well, no, this is in the most holy place. How can we resolve this? Is she contradicting herself? Not necessarily. If you're standing in the holy place and you look through the holy place into the most holy place, do you see everything? If you're in the holy place and you look into the holy place into the most holy place, what do you see? You'll, you'll see a lampstand, and you'll see the altar of incense, and then ultimately you'll see what? You'll see the mercy seat. You'll see the Ark of the Covenant. And because of these two things, um, a lot of individuals will say, no, really this is a picture of the entire sanctuary, the holy place and most holy place, and that... All the imagery here is trying to describe the entire temple part of the sanctuary for us, both holy and most holy. Are you with me so far? Yes? So if we compare both of these quotes from Ellen White, and if we put the entire imagery together, we could say, OK, well, this is really describing the entire sanctuary proper, both the holy place, the great controversy quote, and the most holy place, the signs of the times, quote. And then we could have some kind of balance. But then it raises another question. What days in the Jewish year was the entire sanctuary brought into view? There was only two. The Day of Atonement was one. And there was another one not in the typical year, but there were two times in the history of the sanctuary when the entire sanctuary proper was brought to view. Okay, so the, we could call it the inauguration. Remember when Moses first inaugurated the sanctuary, he went into the entire sanctuary, holy place and most holy place. And when Jesus ascended, he ascended into first the most holy place, inaugurated the entire sanctuary, and then began his ministry in the holy place. Um, let me read a quotation for you about that. Signs of the Times, April 19, 1905. Signs of the Times, April 19, 1905. Still bearing humanity, he, Christ, ascended to heaven, triumphant and victorious. He has taken the blood of the atonement into the holiest, sprinkled it on the mercy seat and on his own garments, and blessed the people. So, soon he will appear the second time to declare that, he, that there is no more sacrifice for sin. So Ellen White says that upon his ascension, where did Jesus go first? Into the most holy, anointed the entire sanctuary. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples as a sign of his inauguration as a priest. And then Pentecost took place. And then he began his ministry and started his ministry in the holy place. So if... Revelation 4 and 5 are describing a view of the entire sanctuary then the question is well is this the inauguration or is this the day of atonement most individuals today would say well no this is the inauguration why why would you why would you say this well there's a couple of reasons why you would say that Um, first of all in Revelation chapter 3 in verse 21 Revelation 3 verse 21 Jesus says that he has sat down where? With his, his With his father on his throne. And so some people will say, because of Revelation 3.21, that's what's being described in Revelation 4 and 5. Um, also, it, some people will say in regards to this, I, there's a quotation from the book Desire of Ages, which really pulls together some things. So listen to this, please. Desire of Ages... 833, paragraph 7. Desire of Ages 833. Then the portals of the city of God are opened wide. This is describing Jesus' ascension into heaven. The angelic throng sweep through the gates amidst rapturous music. There is the throne. And around it, the rainbow of promise. There are the cherubim and seraphim the commanders of the angel host, the representatives of the unfallen world, the heavenly council before which Lucifer accused God and his representatives. Skipping a couple of sentences, all are there to welcome the Redeemer. They are eager to celebrate the, his triumph and glorify the king. Now, do you notice the connections? She's describing Jesus going into heaven upon his ascension, right? And what does she say? There's the throne. There's the rainbow of promise. There's the angelic beings everybody's there right and so it sounds very much like Revelation 4 and 5 and because of that in Seventh-day Adventism today most individuals will say this is what's happening Revelation 4 and 5 describe Jesus ascending to heaven taking his place as our, our mediator and then beginning his mediatorial work coming back into the holy place That's very, very common today. But it's not what Seventh-day Adventists have always taught. For example, uh, there's a few individuals. You might know some of their names. There's Leslie Harding, Roy Allen Anderson, who wrote a book on Revelation, Edwin Thiele, who taught at the seminary for many years, Taylor Bunch, who um, wrote several books, uh, Mario Velso, Sarah Peck, who was Ellen White's personal secretary and wrote the book Pathway to the Throne of God, they all had a different view. What was their view? Their view was that this is not the inauguration, but this is really Day of Atonement imagery. This is the beginning of the time of the judgment. So here we have two views in Seventh-day Adventism, and how can we support either one of them? Well, let's look a little bit further. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5. In Revelation 5, John looks and he sees in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written on the inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. So John sees in the hand of the one on the throne, the father, this book sealed up with seven seals. And he wants to know what this, excuse me, this book is. Um, He doesn't get an explanation of it right here. He begins to weep until he can find somebody that's worthy to open the book. And John is told to stop weeping because there is someone that can open the book in verse 5. The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book. This media was brought to you by Audioverse